Hi, friends. It's Aislinn. And Joe. Welcome to season three at our dinner table. And nothing is off limits at our nope. dinner table. So settle in, mm. grab your favorite beverage. And pull up a chair. Because we have a lot to talk about. I didn't drink as much until I met you. I drink a lot more since I met you. We're you know not what we're doing right now it. is we're, we're untangling not... the dance to dance a new dance. Absolutely. That was part of the dance that you and I would dance. Mm-hmm. At the very beginning, it was red wine and mm-hmm. an app and mm-hmm. our friends mm-hmm. and red wine. Mm-hmm. I would imagine that you would agree with me that we are different people. A hundred percent. So different. And because the algorithm is so infinite, mm-hmm. you're going to live the effects of someone who hasn't changed their algorithm in some important aspect if you don't look into those things. Well, I listen to the signals. I always say, try to listen to the little triggers and pains before they start screaming at you. And oftentimes illness or some big mistake, you know, those kinds of things. We just ignored something that needed to be paid attention to. And as human beings, we have created a path where we are right now where we ignore physical pain. Like we choose not to have physical pain. We look for every way. A lot of people are just waking up to what they feel because they haven't been paying attention to it. What was the big shift the big for shift more was people the, to the begin recognizing the it? The big shift was the pandemic. Something happened globally that we all focused on. The entire world unless they were in a tribe off somewhere completely disconnected. And they probably felt it too. They just didn't know what they were Mm -hmm. tapping into. We all focused on the same thing. And when we did that, we shifted the algorithm and then new paths began creating. That's what happened. And so now we're running into revelations. And I say that not like, oh, revelations from the Bible. Things are being revealed, you guys. They are actually being revealed. We are seeing things we've never seen before. And so this pain body that we feel we've been ignoring, and people know what I'm talking about, even if they're just now beginning to feel. You have this little twinge. For me, it's like right in the center of my body. This like little twinge, the little bit of paranoia could set in. And then you're like, Nope, not going to pay attention to that. Not going to think about that. Not going to face it until I have to. Not going to face it until I have to. Mm -hmm. And some people create walls and cushions and conveniences and all of these things around things. Just like keep pushing that pain deeper and deeper and deeper. I mean, there's stories of the fact that if all we are is an infinite algorithm, then we're connected to all the past infinite parts of our algorithm. They call it oversoul, which would be like the bigger part of our algorithm that makes up who we are. All of that has seen things. An example that I've heard before, you hate the color red, don't you? Yeah, I hate the color red. Why? I don't know. It just, it makes me feel really, it just makes me mad. I hate that color. Mm -hmm. Hmm. In your past life, in your algorithm, somewhere in the ether that made you, and if you think about that, 
that's not far-fetched. You come from an inheritance. You come from family seeds that were planted. That's mm-hmm. how why you exist. That's the only reason you exist. However many lifetimes you believe exist on the planet, whatever, that's real. You know that there are seeds that planted you. So what if in a past life or a great, 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 great grandfather or whatever was the general of an army that wore a red plume and that red plume told the enemy, kill that person. So red means kill. That's who you killed. You kill the one in red. So you live a lifetime with energy, a pain body inside of you that's been passed down. If you wore a gray down. suit, you killed the one in blue. If you wore a blue suit, you killed the one in gray. Mm-hmm. So, And it may not be a color that sets you off. It might be the way someone says a certain word. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Every single time, the way they say that word sure. doesn't have anything to do with the person that said the word. It has to do with whatever's going on inside you that makes that word mean something to you. Hi, everybody. <laughs> we're in the middle of the day you guys can tell the difference between ace and recording a podcast welcome in the to the, of the show day and ace and recording a podcast at nine o'clock we trust that you uh, have the beverage of your choice i've got some of that hibiscus tea that i make i grow and make i'm beverage free hmm. see <laughs> i i was thinking i was doing everything i could to listen to what you were saying but what was bubbling up inside my head I didn't drink as much until I met you. Mm-hmm. Okay. I would like to talk about oh, good. my reaction to that. Uh-huh. This is investigation. I heard you say, I didn't drink as much before I met you. Uh-huh. I heard you say that. Uh-huh. What I felt was you did something wrong. <laughs> Joe, I, Joe I know you did something wrong. That's what you wrong. feel. I know, and I know it irritates you that I say I know that's what you feel. No, no, it's okay. I'm, I'm going to go with it because... Thank you for knowing that about me, I guess. You want so badly for someone not to know you as well as I do. That's, that's... If that is true, I am unaware that it is. Because I would never want that in a relationship. But did you hear is, me is... justifying? Yes. No, 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 you did. And no, 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 you did. And no, 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 you did. Right. You've built, bar- you've built walls. Well, no, but you've I'm, built what walls. I'm, I'm recognizing you have a that lot that's of armor not... On. I'm, re- I'm recognizing here mm-hmm. that that is not beneficial. The, the, that reaction is, and, and I think it's you It's okay to it, let go of the ones that aren't beneficial anymore. That's and, the thing. And if you're with me... But sometimes you know, but you don't do. Sometimes you know, and you don't execute. Anyone can relate to that. Right. You have the head knowledge of the proper way to behave or eat or shop or whatever, but you do something different. See, that's the lie. The lie is that it's, will, it's about willpower. The lie is you know, but you just don't. No, you don't know. You know how I know you don't know? Because if you knew, you wouldn't. You can't. Hmm. We're going to have the longest podcast we've ever had. (laughs) No, we're going to talk about flooding now. Again, if you listen to this podcast, we deal with weather events. Yep. Hurricanes, floods, more floods, straight line winds, freezes, floods, droughts, more floods. Yeah. So we had another flood the other day. That must be good for cotton. There's a lot of it growing around here. I don't even want to talk about that. (laughs) We had a flood flood. A hurricane blew through, came across Mexico, came from the West Coast rather than the Gulf of Mexico, which is what we're used to having our hurricanes come across from. And it came through hard and fast. It rained eight inches in an hour, 10 inches total within like 
three or four hours. Yeah. One of the things I think about is we need to just keep putting material on this land, material on this land, material on this land. Because if things do shift to a point of coastal flooding that just doesn't go away, and that's possible. It is really possible. And I'm not saying anything about climate change. I'm just saying, even if we go through the next hundred years with more water on the planet, that's what it looks like is about to happen. Not necessarily water we can drink, but water, a lot of water. Okay. All of that being said, your property has to have more material on it. If you're one of the places that is coastal lowland, or in our situation, is one of the thoroughfares of water. So a stream, a passage. An old creek bed. Yes. Our piece of property meets up to that mm -hmm. kind of situation. And while the land is flat, there are geographical characteristics of what is underneath us. Sure. And, and of water, course, whoosh, all right of the here. things that have happened with transportation departments and all of the people that have moved land around out here, they've adjusted everything as well. So we had this flood water come through. We got to see yet again, not just the, how it would affect the gardens and where it would stand, but also equipment. My dad's tool barn, he was like, I've never seen that much water in there. It was literally, things were floating. Yeah. We want the water to flow through. So now we have to just build up. I mean, it's coastal land. You build up. That's what you do. Before the rains came, he used his tractor to put a bunch of mulch loads into the chicken run. Yep. We La la layers and layers. Like I like six to eight inches when we had the run. And yeah, it takes it, care of everything. It's the unquestionable right answer for a healthy chicken run. But mulch brings mycorrhizal fungi, which brings life. And life brings worms and things for them to eat and seeds and all of that. And so that chicken coop area and my... Surrounding my, it. The whole area, that's it's all a, low, a part it, of the renovation. It's a, it's a bird bath. It's a bird bath. It collects water mm -hmm. after the water has receded. Mm -hmm. So again, thank God I have my rain boots. If you're going to live at a farm, <laughs> buy rain boots. Yeah. $25 Academy, go. If you live on the coast. Buy rain boots. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And a hat. So I'm slopping around in my rain boots, moving that pile of mulch that your dad left outside the run with a pitchfork through the run to create a six to eight inch thick path. I built a road through a lake. Yeah, exactly. So we have a friend, Miller Navarro, that owns MS Lawn and Tree Service out of Portland, Texas. Yeah. And he works small rural towns around here. He brought over two loads yesterday. Amazing. Perfect timing. I'm very happy to have that connection. And then in the midst of all of that going on, I had on the top of my wish list manifest this thing. I got to have one, a wood chipper, right? Yeah. The wood chippers are like really serious pieces of equipment. They have to be well-maintained. And they're really expensive. So what's the benefit of having the wood chipper rather than receiving the loads? Well, I want to make sure that no matter what, I always keep as much of the carbon on my own property as I possibly can. So, so when, you, when you walk around the property right now, there are piles and piles and piles mm -hmm. of firewood or... Tree trimmings. Tree trimmings. Mm -hmm. So what, you, what tree, you've done in the past, what people mostly would do would yeah. be just to burn the wood. But what I've done is continually say it's so important to keep the carbon here. It's okay to burn stuff sometimes because then you get biochar and that's really nice too. Sure. And you want to build a fire. Keep your firewood. Unlimited resources here. Exactly. To build fires. But these piles can then be turned into something that actually feeds. You can either just mulch a pile 
and just leave it there and then go back to it and get it if you ever need it. Right. Or wherever you're trimming, as you trim the limb, you because this awesome little wood chipper and my dad and mom drove to Johnson City to buy a used version that wasn't even actually running yet. But my dad was like, no worries. It just needs this done to it. And he sends it down to the machine shop guy that lives, you know, a couple of houses down on the farm road. <laughs> this is a farm road, by the way, if you think about us. The building of the network, it certainly is nice to be aligned with the gardener and the gardener and the chicken person and the people with the goats. The guy that can fix machines. Exactly. So I wasn't there for the test run. Is it handling the size that you're looking for? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we're going to give it a few more test runs, but the next time we do it, we'll attach it to the mule. We'll pull it up next to a tree that we want to trim. Trim the tree as you're trimming the tree. I'm already, I've got this planned out. As you're trimming the tree. I'm glad I'm here. I'm shoving the logs in there. And the thing about it is, is that you can take it right to that tree and just point because it just shoots it out. So you could even just leave it for the tree. And that is as essential as anything else you would do with that carbon on your property. I think that anyone that's a conservationalist that is going to manage their property in exactly that way. I think it's way, anyone that's resourceful. Uh, those two things, they're not synonyms, but... Yeah. Well, and then I guess, I guess maybe there's a, there's a connotation. Maybe I've got a connotation to what a conservationist is versus somebody that that's makes resourceful. sense because, you know? you know, we like to take a term that means something and turn it into something else and then not be able to use it or anymore. Or make it a label, a very specific label, la- yeah. like the word progressive. That one always threw me off. Because I'd be like... How about conservative and liberal? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, all of that. How about all of it? All of it. <laughs> hey, friends. It's just Aislinn. When you buy local, buy fresh, and promote your friends' businesses, you are tapped into the greatest network of health, wealth, and happiness life can offer. You will never go hungry, you will never be left outside, and you will never be abandoned. I just wanted to share that little message with you. And then I also want to make sure to invite you to two amazing events that are going to be coming up over the next few weeks. On November the 3rd, we will be doing our Long Lunch Club. It's a special lunch event, garden and farm tour. This month will be focused on fall fresh herbs, and we only have a few seats left. And on November the 15th, this amazing surprise workshop is coming up. My friend Justin Duncan from National Center of Appropriate Technology has come to Corpus Christi, Texas to teach us about herbs for health and to do a farm walk with us as we look for the farm forage and perennial and native plants that are available for your consumption if ever there's a need. And as always, head over to acelandcampbell.com for more information. Well, when you last left us, Aislinn was about to go on a girl's trip weekend for antiquing and thrift shopping. I just got back. Yeah. It was fun. Did you get me my boot jacks? (laughs) There's a boot jack shortage. I don't know if you know this, but somewhere out in the ocean somewhere, there's a ship just sitting there waiting to come on port. And it's full of boot jacks. Boot jacks in the shape of a beetle. (laughs) So I Googled, when you came back with nothing, boot jack beetle vintage uh-huh that's a thing uh-huh Th- that's a design uh-huh. that is very common in the bootjack world uh-huh what From... did you bring back i like co- coasters like all kinds of funny coasters my mom actually found this one for me yes it says next time karen try just half a brownie <laughs> and oh she just put her hibiscus tea on it i did and we love to sit outside and watch our chickens so i needed chairs for that sure. experience but I got these amazing rockers that are like metal rocking chairs. They are amazing. With a little place where you put your drink. 
and their bright colors, like John Deere green and lemon, Meyer's lemon yellow. I love them. But the mud has to go away, or we have to go out there and put some mulch down where we can actually sit in our chairs. Our mulch overfloweth. <laughs> mulch will be at an area designated for seating before we next record. I got an Angora sheep hide rug. It's yes. like furry, and the dog loves it. Thinks it's his girlfriend. Right. <laughs> I did bring home some saddle blankets to cover our furniture with because yeah. we, we live with a little dog. We have a roommate, and his name is Kai Shin, and he likes to sit on the back of the couch. And he likes to chew up things sometimes. Not anything really bad, like an okra. He likes to chew up an okra. This is our house. We are ridiculous. His dog toy is a piece of okra. <laughs> Okay, my favorite thing that's happening in life right now, he loves the birdbath, aka mud hole in our backyard. Oh. He splashes, and I think he likes the sound of the splashing. Splash, 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 splash. So imagine a tiny teacup poodle. White as snow. Except his muddy cowboy boots. Leaping. Like Tigger, yeah. bound, 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 bound. And he's chasing dragonflies and yellow butterflies. And he's just in love with life. It blows my mind how excited and happy this little dog is. And I'm going to talk about your mom's instant pot pho. Okay. We had it last week when she, like an angel, descended this food upon us on a very busy night. We're angel descending food upon them tonight. That's true. It's the J-Hack household uh, mascot casserole, whatever you call it. But I didn't put in cauliflower, and I put in Squash? big chunks of tromboncino and eggplant. Tromboncino, the official mascot of dinner table talks. Official produce mascot of Very dinner nice. table talks. Very nice. Here's a big, big bunch of instant papa and like a whole fixin's bar. Well, you'd ask me to fill us in on what that recipe was. Yeah. It's the longest recipe she's ever sent me. Okay. Like three pages, two pages front and back. Uh-huh. So I propose that I make this. Okay. It was fantastic. What are the ingredients? Well, okay. So we did a pho once before. We so did? You're here on the show, yeah. We did a pho journey where we went out and tried pho all over town. Did you make pho? Because if I you did. made pho, I'm it wasn't like memorable. Well, it had. No, <laughs> I take no offense. Because this is memorable. This pho, has pho star that my mom anise, made. Yeah, whole yeah. cloves, cinnamon sticks, uh -huh. and I made a broth with all of that. Uh -huh. And then you make the noodles in it separate. You've got your chicken, ginger, chicken broth, beef broth. I would just go full chicken broth because that's what I have in the freezer. But Fish you know, sauce. That's a, but that's a pho thing. Pho has all a bunch of different. Yeah, it usually meat has broths. a uh, pork bone in it. Remember but the, also beef yeah. broth and also chicken. They, they have several. And then a bunch of vegetables and then your stuff on the side. Your, so you're going to put that recipe up your, on our. Um, I'll put that recipe up, but then I'll make it in the near future and we'll talk about it on the show. Okay. Sounds good. One year ago today. Time What are we doing here? What are we doing here? What so I listened to the show from one year ago to refresh myself on what we discussed. Mm -hmm. So one year ago this week was episode 2.08. You locked your keys in the car. <laughs> you flirted with the bartender. That was Michael. He I, came and served cocktails at a farm table. We go into talking about some craft cocktails, the difference between shallots and onions. Mm -hmm. You know, building that network, thinking about that, I met Michael at the bar, flirted with the bartender. Yeah. Made an inappropriate comment about his shirt. He, he was wearing eggplants. I know. Listen to last year's episode. 
But then he came out here not even a year later. Well, you started giving them and selling them flowers for drinks. Yeah. And then that turned into him coming out and doing one of your farm-to-table dinners. See, that's how I roll at the bar. That's why I go to the bar. I want to go there and meet people. But then I made a tromboncino casserole. And that was the entry into tromboncino on the show one year ago today. Because? It's tromboncino season. Because? It is October. Because the tromboncino is the official, official produce, produce mascot. mascot of Dinner Table Talks. We need to get in touch with that tromboncino lobby. That's me. <laughs> You're a one-man band. <laughs> That's band. the point. I'm the tromboncino I've, lobby. I've ridden this I'm ride with you a Roselle couple of times. Lobby. But you know what else I did one year ago that what? I completely forgot about? What? Made goat curry. Uh, yeah. Which is going to be the next curry I was intending on making on the curry journey. When you need it less boring and less Thai. We've I bet I Thai. liked it a lot. Well, do you want me to do the same recipe again? Sure. In the interest of... Now, this Was is... It spicy? Now, we're moving to India now. So, garam masala is going to show up. <laughs> we're moving to India now. Well, we were in Thailand. Now, uh -huh. we're moving to India uh -huh. to try a curry uh -huh. that's Indian-influenced. Uh-huh. So, the garam masala is, your, is in there, but then additional spices to it. Mm. If you're ready for curry next week... I am. I know when you okay. were at the farmer's market the other day, you told me that Turkey Hollow didn't have any goat. Now, I have some goat in the freezer. Uh -huh. But in the interest of inviting everyone in our community to dinner. I think you should buy a goat from next door. I've already worked it out with your mom. You have? Yes. This is news. Tell me what you've worked out with my mom. It's spoilers. I thought we were I've about to two... talk about you slaughtering a goat no, before no, no, next no, week. No. She's got some goat in the freezer. That's the short story. Oh. Coming soon. I Aislinn's disappointment. Why am I disappointed about not slaughtering a goat? Um, like, why? <laughs> well, I think, okay. I'll, I think I'm I'll ready that. to move into this next phase of, like, meat production part of I'll my... answer. I'll answer it. One must find the balance between doing 25% of 10 things mm -hmm. and doing 100% of one thing. Mm -hmm. You know that one of the 25 things that you want to do, mm -hmm. you want to raise a goat or goats here mm -hmm. for meat. I think so. Goats you are a pain see, in the ass, though, so that's like... You see a goat... You have to treat a goat like a dog. You get to know this damn goat, then you don't want to eat it anymore. You see a goat down the street for sale. Next door, there's the a shortcut. flock of them. That's the shortcut. Yeah. Instant fix to yeah. a problem yeah. that what me and your mom have already solved, and that's the door. requirement of meat today. I want meat today. <laughs> now, this is not the goat podcast. <laughs> yet. If we do get goats, can we do the thing where we take a piece of goats galvanized like, tin? Goats are like way down the list of the next animal that we I'm going to be taking care of, And we make a Quonset shape, an arch. Yeah. And then they stand on it and goes, boing, boing, boing. I've seen these videos on YouTube. She get fainting goats. What, what are they? They're goats that faint. Why do they faint? I don't know. It's just the thing that they do. And they, climb, get them in they climb up in trees. We got Goats are freaking crazy, man. They can do anything. I'm ready to get the um, cable subscription upgrade <laughs> on my farm TV. <laughs> to goat television? I don't know what's available. I know there's a goat channel available, but is that the right one to get next? Rabbits are next. Oh, sounds like we're getting rabbit TV soon. Then the poultry, the meat birds. So like chickens and turkeys. I thought you said you didn't want to get turkeys because they're so noisy. And... No, 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 no. I don't want three toms. I want a tom. And his ladies. Where would they go? I don't know yet. Okay. But here's the other thing. Turkeys for meat birds don't even get old enough to have a beard or a gobble. Are you breeding your own turkeys or are you buying fresh turkeys? I will do it exactly the way I do the baby chicks. We'll buy the babies. Yeah. I'm not saying I would never get into like yeah. hatching. But that's way, that, that would be next but, steps. Gotcha. Right. All right. 
pet wise, I think we might be getting some peacocks at some point if I can figure out. That Are you talking next. about the good ones that like, that's, and they have the whole thing? That's a male. So we'll have that. I hope so. That's oh. one of the. That's on the list of pet farm animals. There's but a list. There's a list of pet farm animals. Well, yeah. Is that things a discussion? That are a pet and things. Well, yeah, we're always discussing. Okay. It. Because my mom wants to get all of the animals. My mom's like, get this. But then as soon as she gets it, it's like my dad's a responsibility to take care of it. That's not completely true because, I mean, the dogs and stuff like that. But it is funny. My mom loves farm pets and she wants to get all the farm pets. And now I'm here, which part of the deal with me coming here was that we could get animals because I would be here to help take care of them. Yeah, we we, would there's be two here, more hands. Two more hands yeah. to like feed animals and to be here on the property when the... Let me clarify. Two more hands is two more people, which is a total of four hands. (laughs) I think it just is a matter of what I want to learn and how I want to do it. But my family did 4-H from kindergarten to senior in high school every year. All the things I could participate, always animals. What's a quick list of the animals? I had lambs and turkeys. My brother had... A steer for sure once, and he might have had other things that I don't remember, like maybe a pig at the show barn. I don't know. So help me understand. What do you do? The way that you did 4-H was you knew that at this point in the year, you bought your chicks or you bought your lamb, and you had this many months to raise it. Take it to the show. You had 30 chicks. Some of them died. Then you had to do a cull, or you had one lamb, and then at the end of that, you sold them. And they were gone. Part of the deal with 4-H used to be, for my age, for my generation, was not just raising money for college and participating in an activity or group or whatever leadership and all of that, but was teaching your children what happens yeah. animal, to animals. Animal husbandry. Yes. Farming ethics. And when an animal goes to auction, it's going to get on a trailer and it's going to become food. Uh, that's how I want to activate that here on the farm. When now, you raise 4-H animals, if you keep them, because uh-huh. turkeys we did keep, because turkeys are a little different than a cute little lamb. That, that's what I'm saying. Because if you're going to get goats, you get one or two goats, and you literally are, these animals are like literally leashed animals. They have one small little pen, and you feed them really well, and if you want to take them out to eat in the yard, you attach them to a dog leash and stick a thing in the ground, and that's where the goat gets to hang out that day. And if you're doing it on a farm... You're not putting them on a truck and sending them off like you do at the 4-H show. Then Vincent You're literally Van Goat now is let off for slaughter. Yeah, this is the deal with the homesteader situation. And so you have a to... stepping stone to raising chickens for slaughter is what we did before, which was your dad... Uh, Bought some coals. Yeah. And they were fully grown meat birds. Yeah. Like, cause right, they, because uh, what happens is, okay, say you buy 30, and then at one point, kind of early, you take 15... And you put those in the freezer if you're going to eat them. And then you raise the last 15. And then the weekend of the show, you pull for me and my brother the four best birds. And those are the birds that go to the show. And the rest of the 15, so the 11, that's a full-grown turkey that got cold that now has to be processed. So you either process it yourself, which is what we usually did, or you send it to somebody to process it. Or you sell it, you just sell the live bird to somebody. Right. So that's what we did the last time. You, was bought, we bought, you bought someone's live bird. Show weight birds. I, I wouldn't feed our turkeys and chickens the way they feed 4-H animals most of the time. Well, it's a different goal. Yeah. Same end, different pathway. Yeah. Which I, that was my issue with 4-H, really, when it came down to it, was that 
They so, were teaching commodity production to kids with backyards. So a year ago, <laughs> I was about to make goat curry. And now I'm about to make goat curry. <laughs> exactly. Speaking of pork legs, were we speaking of pork legs? <laughs> speaking of I had my bachelor weekend eat. on the farm with your dad next door. We did barbecue the pork leg. Mm-hmm. Your dad got it started. I got it finished. He told your mom later that that's a very difficult cut of meat to get perfectly cooked. Yeah, it wasn't quite right. It was overcooked. <laughs> but he <What>? had the <laughs> pork leg elevated, slathered in goodness, a rub, on the gas grill with the, a smoke pellet cylinder, which are pellets of tree that have been processed into a convenient pellet. And you smoke your ham with the flavor of your choice from the different pellet varieties. Mm-hmm. Then we covered it in foil to let some moisture build up within the cut. But it was just cooked too long. Good thing that good I... Good flavor? Overcooked. Yeah. It was a good thing that I swooped in about the time that I did, though, because then it was time to make the sides of stuff, and I had just arrived home yeah. on my girl's trip. I get out of the car. It's a beautiful, cooler fall day. The sun is shining. I smell the smoke from the fire of the barbecue pit of this delicious smell. Mm-hmm. Why do I ever leave here? <laughs> you had already come up with the black-eyed peas. Because it was a fantastic balance of power. Exactly. I just was going to do your mom's black-eyed peas 15 minutes in the Instant Pot. I we talked in about on the, the show. good ingredients for that, too, though. Well, let me tell you how it works. <laughs> you got, I got two pounds of black-eyed peas that you had put away into the freezer, meaning that you shucked all the peas out of yep. the husks <laughs> and put them in freezer bags. So there they are. Boom. You throw that in the Instant Pot with a cup of broth per pound. You always want to put some pork in there if you're a meat eater. So I throw in half a pound of bacon, just kind of diced up, uncooked, Mm -hmm. just into that Instant Pot. And then, yeah, you swoop in and what do you do? I did cut up some of your onion. I did cut up some of your bell pepper. When I get involved in the produce from the refrigerator. Always will. And I'm telling you, like, I jump out of this car. I had a nice weekend with these ladies. It's beautiful. I step into my home. The music's playing. I'm Mm -hmm. dancing. I'm pulling beautiful produce out of the refrigerator. I pull out these amazing, colorful sweet peppers and celery that I'd bought from another farmer at the farmer's market. Throw these in there and you're like, oh, celery. My first question was, uh, the amount of peppers that you put on the cutting board, are these all hot? That was my question. No heat, but all beautiful red, yellow, orange colors. And Mm. that's just, not only does it add amazing flavor to something like a brown, gloopy, black-eyed pea, right? It adds color. And then you add that fresh celery into it, and my God, fresh celery is just so flavorful. You threw that whole celery bunch onto the cutting board, mm-hmm. and I knew immediately that I wanted mostly leaves. Mm-hmm. I wanted to cook that down almost like a green yep. in those black-eyed peas. But I, I was like, we've got a whole lot of other produce in yeah. here that has got to be eaten. We've got eggplants. We've got tomatoes. We've got the tromboncino squash. So I start pulling those things out, and I said, do that thing. Remember that thing you did with the potatoes, the squash, the da-da-da, whatever? So basically, you made like a ratatouille. Right. They call it an, an au gratin. Yeah. Hey, Aislin, I don't know the difference between an au gratin and a ratatouille. We should look that up. And see. <laughs> and yeah, I just took the mandolin out, peeled and sliced your tromboncino, sliced up some onion, sliced up some eggplant. Yeah. And then you saute your onions and your peppers. Uh-huh. Put a little bed of that on the bottom of your casserole dish, uh-huh. and then you alternate eggplant, tomato, tromboncino. Eggplant, I had to get a little salt going. And then what's going. the season? Do you put cheese? What What else? A big handful of Parmesan cheese uh-huh. and uh, some minced garlic. 
on the top. Mm. And then so what happens... That's one of my favorite recipes that has come into our life. Yeah, throw it in the oven. And what happens, of course, is those vegetables start to sweat out their moisture down, mm-hmm. down through and into the onions and peppers. So when you take a scoop of that, the cheese on top, it is nice. I go over to coffee in the mornings with my parents every day. And I was over there and my mom points at my dad. Hey, hey, tell her how you used Joe's... What's it called? Agra. No, it's not. Ratatouille. It's called ratatouille. Okay. <laughs> no, it's not. It's called ratatouille. Hey, tell her how you use Joe's ratatouille. Well, I made a quesadilla out of it. Tortilla, and then I think he said Monterey Jack cheese. Yeah. And then I put... Pepper Jack cheese. Yeah. I put the au gratin down, uh-huh. another piece of cheese, milk. It was really good. And I was like, that's exactly how we use our stuff. My God, that's exactly how that this the leftover should be used. Uh-huh. What a good idea. Yeah. Two tortillas and put that yep. medley of vegetables yep. with some cheese. Pizza, quesadillas, tacos. I gave them all you the leftovers. I, I gave it. them all of them. Uh-huh. I'm glad that I did. Uh-huh. But we didn't have any leftover. I know. I, I got to like, make it again, I guess, food. is the solution. Easy, because there's going to be plenty of those vegetables. I've all noticed right. that I've seen more of that at the farmer's market at the eggplant. And then unexpectedly, my daughter walks in and uh-huh. she's got a friend in tow. And we sit down at the dinner table and it's everything I ever wanted in life. It's heaven on earth. Am I ordering these boot jacks or what? I'm curious about this whole supply chain uh, of no boot jacks. I want to know more about that, which is why I asked you the question I asked you the other day. What's that? Are there things missing off the shelves at the grocery stores? Are we having a potential food supply chain shortage? I was ignoring any empty shelves because everything that I needed was available. Mm-hmm. With the exception of yellow curry at the Asian market. That is interesting. So, like, But I'm putting my because hand Because that's in, a lot of like boxed stuff. So the fresh There has stuff been no shortage getting. of produce where we shop. Mm-hmm. No shortage. Zero. And I'm shopping for my mother too. So some of the things that my mom wants are missing. Mm. But I haven't noticed that for our home. Everyone has talents, right? But I believe everyone connects with certain things easier. So people learn things either easier than other people. Sure. Supply chain, supply and demand, distribution, access, food, wellness, all those things came to me really easily. I picked that stuff up very easily. And distribution became an extremely important part of the conversation when I was creating the Grow Local, Farmer's Market, Access to Food, and... Well, the entire food system, really. Right. On a city that didn't have a local food system. This concept of distribution always frustrated me so much with the food movement stuff because... I would be in the conversations with farmers, and I'm not even talking about the super, super small hobby gardeners that sell at farmer's markets. I'm talking about farmers with like hundreds of acres of vegetables, cabbage, citrus trees, Uh you know, not being able to find streams in Texas to be able to sell their produce. And at the grocery stores, if you're buying organics, you're buying, you know it already, Cal Organics. That's what you're buying. Basically, what I learned was is that 1% of the organic produce that we buy in Texas comes from Texas. When there's farmers, I know for a fact, that are having a hard time finding places that will sell. So why why the disconnect? It would seem to me that the most efficient way to get produce from South Texas to North Texan people that are buying that produce from where? California? Right. To get it to them in a shorter line would would be cheaper. You would would think that, but... The big corporate distribution system where you build these massive, massive distribution systems 
where even if you thought, oh, we should begin changing things because this isn't as exactly efficient. Oh, let's oh, just get big. Too big. We just kept to keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's kind of what has happened with agriculture to the point of really, really stressing out. And that's not having, having such a small number of farmers in America now. One farmer owns everything now which technically that farmer doesn't even own anything. It's the corporation that owns the, you know, the seed and whatever that, that technically owns it. But the thing about it is, is that the corporations got so big that there's no way to process that stuff. There's no, we don't have the equipment to do the work here. So it is more efficient to get it from California because California Shipping it here, just paying the gas mileage is cheaper than having the processing equipment that we need in order to use that particular thing, whatever it is. That's just one example of why that particular distribution system stayed the way it was. And even on a smaller scale, I mean, when we travel to places north and there's a restaurant or two in town that could benefit from a bona fide, 100% Texas-grown, organic distribution system but at that smaller level that crack isn't really filled so There's it's no filled with there at all the big guys that gives them a limited amount of things yeah. to have when it comes to small food. scale there's no distribution right. system. the thing that i said repeatedly 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 when i was with grow local to the point of i now have an ex-staff member who runs a distribution business <laughs> i said we don't have a distribution business here in corpus christi we need a distribution business and of course everybody would be like of course we have cc produce and da 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 distribution i'm like yeah but they won't sell small farm produce they won't network with the purveyors, the restaurants that can afford to work on a small scale system. But we don't have distribution down here. California has distribution for that kind of thing because they've been doing that kind of distribution. Well, you're talking about an economy as a scale thing. Sure. We could absolutely. do it, but it got to cost a lot of money to do it. Exactly. But now on the other end of where we are now, that model got so big that now it's self-destructing basically. And so we're having distribution breakdowns because it's not working anymore. It's not more efficient for Texans to buy stuff from California because they can't get it. So if you can't get it, that's not efficient. It's you time find, to look elsewhere. You got to find something else. Well, maybe this and is one of those you, things that fills those cracks in. Well, yeah. We were talking earlier about the global thing that happened that creates pain yeah. bodies and people began to recognize that. We've gotten to a point in the way we do agriculture here that we have a farmer that raises as many chickens as he can in the barn that's specified appropriate size, blah, 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 kills them, mails them to somewhere like Vietnam. Don't quote me on Vietnam, but there's information out there. It goes way farther than they should. Yes. Okay. And then it gets shipped back, processed, cut up, and ready to be sold to you on the grocery store shelf, where you then have people that go, Oh, I can only buy the stuff that's wrapped in plastic and has styrofoam and cellophane around it. I'm like, dude, there is nothing safe or healthy about that. That doesn't even make sense. Yes, this global pain body, we woke up enough to go, hello, why are we raising a chicken, mailing it to Vietnam, and then bringing it back to ourselves when we literally have farmers going out of business right here in our own town? That's revelations. Now, you can't ignore it when you just keep getting more and more and more of your conveniences and your uh, numbing things stripped away from you. An absence of eggs and milk at the grocery store. Exactly. 
which we've seen now twice in a year. But you know, I mean, even when you talk about makes supply people say, chain where, where, shortage, where else can I get eggs? Right, exactly. That's a thing. But also, if you where think about supply chain shortages, you remember because you're seven years older than I am when there weren't so many brands on the shelf. The Hill Country Fair brand and the Del Monte brand, two brands. That's what you got. There weren't 800 flavors of Doritos. There were nacho cheese Doritos. You know what I mean? Cool Ranch was a revolution. So some of the things that you're seeing off the shelves isn't really... It's superfluousness. Yeah. The other thing that the grocery store is doing, all of them, are eliminating products. This is completely off topic. Eliminating the brands of products when they have their own brand's products. So in other words, Dole, we don't have anymore because now you can buy the ABC grocery store brand. I literally pineapple. don't care about any of that. All I care about is whether it tastes good or, and it has good ingredients. And I honestly think that there's certain people, your mom's probably a good example of that, that it's the brand. They don't even know what real food tastes like. My they, just, they just know the brand. Well, because I buy my mom's groceries, it goes through a few filters between my mom's request and what she receives. For example, peanut butter that we get, mm -hmm. which is the H-E-B brand organic peanut butter. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I got her that was because during the COVID stripping away of perishables, mm -hmm. the food we eat was last on the shelf. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. So. That's funny. When she needed Peter Pan, she got ours. Uh-huh. And she said, that's the best peanut butter I've ever had. That's happened a few times. Mm-hmm. But you're right. And I don't know how generational it is. Well, and that's what but I was she about was to say about... She was very brand loyal. The convenience of it. Or like how many brands you have on the shelf. I want a can of sliced pineapples and I want them to be Dole. They have to be Dole And Dull if they brand. don't have Dole, I don't want sliced pineapples. But Libby's pumpkin that you put in the pumpkin pies? Right. Pumpkin. You got to have Libby's. Actually. You have to have Rotel brand. If I'm going to get serious about what I actually tomatoes. want, I want it from my garden. Well, there's always that. But if you got to buy it in a can, Libby's, duh. And Rotel, you're right. Hardcore. The truth is, is that I'm just very curious to know what continues to happen with the things that have had, the revelations that have happened over the last 18 months to 24 months at this point. What's the ripple because, effect? Of yeah, because this is, that supply chain stuff, that has nothing to do with the virus. It has to do with what we're doing as human beings after we woke up from. It has, yeah, it has to do with risk management of the processes that we're all involved in. And so all kinds of things are happening now. And all we feel detached from the process because I just want my brownie mix. Well, mm -hmm. your brownie mix is stuck in a container in the, a port off of one coast or another because there's all these cracks because there's not enough humans to fill the, the grease that we used to have. But well, I do that's love got, it how that's the excuse. Well, that's got nothing to do with me. Yeah. That's the excuse though for everything though. That Everywhere just sucks. It sucks that they, they... Mm -hmm are messing this up and I can't get my brownie mix. You know, it's because of COVID. There's brownie mix for sale at the farmer's market this weekend, I promise. If you need brownie mix, it's available. Yeah. And you know what? If you need eggs. You might have to pay more for things. If you need eggs, you need to make a chicken friend. That's the supply chain, of which I've just been constantly saying, we probably need to be aware of what's happening with our local supply chain. I did post that a restaurant... Uh, about 30 miles north of Corpus Christi, was chosen for Texas Monthly's 50 Best Barbecue. Uh -huh. Time for a road trip. Uh -huh. And people were like, oh my God, I've had it. It's amazing. Oh my God, that they deserve it. Oh, that's better barbecue than you can get in town. And this guy wrote, it was really good, but expensive. Uh -huh. And I try not to comment. And I try not to be snarky. But I did reply to this guy's comment with, 
I prefer that to bad and cheap. <laughs> right. I haven't tasted their barbecue, so it's time for a road trip. Okay. Well, hey, while we're in this intellectual vibe, why don't you kick over a question that we can deep dive into? We have dedicated ourselves to doing Brett Goldstein's Movies to be Buried with podcast questions. We have died. And there is a heaven, and it is obsessed with movies. And these are the questions that we have to answer to tell our life in movies. Yeah. Okay. Question number four, go back to the last three weeks to listen to the first three questions. What's the film that you love, but which isn't by popular consensus? A film that people think critically is horrible. People say, oh, my God, that movie's, you know, but you love it. I always have such a hard time with these things. From now on, you're going to have an easy time with these things. I'm one of those people that I have a challenge with having to choose my favorite or having to choose the one you know, because I'm always like, well, it depends because what about this? What about that? I always want to make everyone watch Sweeney Todd, the Demon Barber. Ah. Uh, but I think no that... one really wants to watch that with me. Oh, okay. But I freaking love that movie. That that was when Johnny Depp, everything he did was popular. I don't like everything he's done. Okay. I like a lot of what he's done. But you like his artistic decisions so that you'll probably check out everything that he's done. But it's not an instant, it's amazing because Johnny Depp's in it. I'll watch anything Matthew McConaughey does. I mean, anything. It can be the garbagiest garbage of all things. He just looks so damn good. He just he just looks so damn good. But he won an Oscar. Uh, anything. It doesn't matter. His, like, uh, his Kate uh, Hudson romantic comedy phase. Yeah. Sarah Jessica Parker was in one of them. I love him. Failure to launch. I love him. I love everything about him. I do. I dream of him. <laughs> he did a movie called Sahara, which is almost impossible to watch. He did a thing on Instagram yesterday oh, yeah. thanking everybody because it was the one year from his launch of his book called Green Lights. Yeah. That is the best book, man. And I listened to it on Audible, which means I got to listen to Matthew McConaughey. Read to you. Read his book. Uh, did you ever okay, read well, with Matthew McConaughey in bed? Of course. Hmm. So what's yours? The one that leaps to mind. Because I'm a professional paid film critic. Oh, yes. I can talk to you about Godfather for 17 hours straight. Chinatown might be the best script ever written. And that kind of thing. Very pretentious and obnoxious. <laughs> but there's a film that is horrible that I love. To have no critical raves or reviews ever is pure country starring george Strait and mm -hmm. leslie ann warren i know that movie came out in the 90s when you hear twin fiddles and uh -huh. a steel guitar because he plays a garth brooks level success multi whatever and then he um has to leave and go back to small texas town to find himself but he's left the tour in a lurch mm -hmm. so, so they fake it so they fake it with kyle chandler uh -huh. from friday night lights uh-huh I liked that movie. It's so good. It's, it, it's such a movie. Elvis model, you know, for a guy that can't act. But <laughs> no, I have act, a special sure. place in my heart for like, Texas swing country until Billy Ray Cyrus came along and just ruined everything. Are we having a potential food supply chain shortage? Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Dinner Table Talks. We will be back next Monday with a fresh episode. In the meantime, hit us up on social media, send us an email, DM us, whatever. We want to hear from you. And we hope that you're enjoying the episodes as much as we enjoy creating them for you. <laughs>